Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Selah Fellowship podcast for our Sunday services. Please open your Bibles as we dive into our study this morning. Amen. Amen. All right, you can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. We're going to finish out that chapter. Pastor Steve began it last week. He set the stage by going to James chapter 1. I, too, am going to set the stage for what the message is today that I believe continues on with the message he brought last week. Which is that it is all about the word by beginning in Luke, or in James, I'm sorry, chapter 1. Why you're going to Luke chapter 8. Um, but I want to add two verses to what he shared last week. And there I'm going to begin in, as you're turning, to James chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, laying aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive the meek, with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But, conditional, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man or woman observing their face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, which is the word of God, which is Jesus, right? Looks there and looks into that perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, not a doer of the word, but a doer of the work. Because God has saved us, purposed us, and created us to walk in the works that he has planned for us by the revelation of himself through his word, through the gifts and callings he gives us, through the counsel we seek from others, you know, through the, the interaction in the church, right? So we would be doers of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. Everything, anything we do according to God's will following it, finding it, having it revealed to us, and then walking in it, we will, it's a promise, you see that word will in the scripture, right? Promises us that we will be blessed. Amen, right? But, again, we have to not be hearers only, but by taking action, right? By being doers, active faith. And James is going to go on in the next chapter to say that faith without works is dead faith. I don't have to explain it. What does dead faith get you? It gets you nothing, right? And also then, too, if we continue in and be doers of the work, got to continue in the faith, continue in what we understand God has laid out for us and created us for, and the love of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the scriptures. That's what we're supposed to be all about. And again, look, you just can't go wrong. So then we jump now back into Luke chapter 8. Again, Pastor Steve starting it last week. And I just want to pick up those, the points that he went through because it is so much all about the word. The word that directs the work. The word that continues to guide us in the work. Protect us in the work. Meaning, you know, from discouragement, from derailment, from diversion. Right? But just helps keeping us there. So 
First thing we got into was that, was that uh, parable of the sower. And as he pointed out, it's really more of a parable of the dirt. How's our heart receiving the word? What do, you know, how do we take it in, right? But first, there, it, the sower goes out and he makes it clear to Jesus as he goes on to explain that, that that is the person that is scattering the word of God. Now, we are supposed to be scatters, but we're all supposed to receive scattering, right? We're supposed to be soil. There's the, the soil that, it, you know, it, it's hard ground. And so the, the seed, the word just kind of falls on it, doesn't really get taken in, and Satan rips it off. How does he rip it off? Maybe by what other people have said. Maybe what we, what we say about ourselves. Maybe what we believe about what we see rather than what we are told by faith to walk in. Because that's where I see the scripture going today. As much as we talk about the word of God without the faith activated to follow the word, it ends up being dead. So it's not just the word. It is that word activated, right? So the first soil doesn't get it. Now, the second soil, the rocky ground, it literally says that they believe for a while. But then there's no root. And literally it says then when temptation comes, and let me always remind you that temptation and testing are many times interchangeable within the scriptures. So where I can look at somebody and go, oh, that really tempts me, I can also look at it and go, oh, here's a test that my faith may prevail. Wait, remember way back in Genesis, at the beginning, God told Cain, hey, sin, it waits at the door for you, buddy, but you shall rule over it. And of course, he's fulfilled that by the Holy Spirit now being in us and what God has provided for us through his death and then resurrection, proving he's conquered sin. He's conquered death. So we not only have salvation in Christ, we also have empowerment by his Holy Spirit. So that's all part of it, right? Anyway, there are those that are tempted and they fall away. Warning, right? And then there's those that receive it, but the world chokes it out chokes it out it never comes to maturity right they it it doesn't get oxygen it gets strangled and so it never bears fruit never comes to maturity we're responsible remember as we're given the gifts as we're given the revelation as god does speak to us we're responsible to respond we're also called in scriptures to add to our faith and to continue to grow in the virtues of God. So I have a co-participation, right? He's in me to work out, you know, his plan with, you know, fear and trembling. But I am, I'm supposed to be a participant in that. And then, of course, we get to the good soil, which was the last one there, where it's the person that hears it, applies it nobly, you know, just taking it. But they continue on in it to bear fruit. But it also adds there in the scriptures with patience. We can be so impatient as believers. I want it now. I remember going through that when I first got saved. And I couldn't understand why I still had thoughts I shouldn't have. I still had actions I shouldn't do. I still had responses I shouldn't be responding with. And I thought, oh, it didn't stick. It didn't take with me. I kept getting saved every week, you know, literally, because there was always an invitation. And so I was, I want to make sure. And then I realized my problem is I went to a pastor and I said, what's my problem? And he said, dude, you don't believe. You don't believe what God has said. What has God said to you? Who are you in him? You got to believe. 
So, oh, okay. And then I left, and, and that was, now that was my, man, that was my stake in the ground. I must believe. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and say, like, I never waver, and there isn't, you know, fear that creeps in and doubt and, you know, oh my goodness. But the word is always there to bring me back. Jesus is always here to bring me back. And this is what I saw today in the scriptures, and I thought, oh, this is really exciting because I, I, I really get to, I, I get to share this, right? You, and, and then, well, we've got to move on here. Then the scripture goes on. After you've received this word and it's implanted in your heart, right? It's like, it, it's like a light. You don't put it under a bushel. You don't hide it, but you expose it. You shine it to the world, and that's what he's talking about. Even Jesus gives us the example in verse, uh, you know, right around twenty twenty one, right? Where his bio family comes up and goes, hey, we're out here. And Jesus goes, oh, let me tell you, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. So all of a sudden, man, Jesus is showing me the intimacy, the, the love, the relationship I now have with him. Like I'm bio family. I'm better than bio family because bio family only is those who hear it and do it. So it, it, it's like he's showing me this acceptance I have, right? The true kinship of what it is to be in relationship with Christ. Not religion, but relationship, right? Then he goes on, and, and, the, and the miracles start, you know? Uh, testing by kind of directives, if you would. And, you know, you get, you get, hey, let's get in a boat. We're going to go to the other side. Tells his disciples. This is, we're going we're gonna to cross over, right? So... They get in the boat, they start crossing, the waves come up, the disciples freak out, and Jesus rebukes them. Now, he rebukes the waves, the, the, the storm, but he also rebukes his disciples. Why? Well, because they were more concerned with the storm, which Jesus wasn't, than they were with believing what Jesus said, God's word, and, and he was trying to grow them up and get them... To, to step up to the understanding that when God says something to you, it is. It is. I am. It is. You know, that, this is what God introduced himself as. That when he said, I am, it is the becoming one. God is the one. And when he says it, he's going to do it, right? Jesus isn't concerned about the storm when he wakes up, when he's woken up. You know, because they're like, we're going to perish. We, we're going to, the Messiah is going to perish. And so that's why he, he rebukes their unbelief as disciples. Come on. You know, we're, we're, we're in this together. The, the circumstances of, of course, a storm and the rough stuff that we can go to, we all know that that exists in our lives, hard times, right? But those hard times are not an evidence somehow of, of unbelief or God's failure, they are, in fact, every way a, a, a purpose of us then walking in the faith of God's promises. What has he said? It, it doesn't mean you failed at it. It means he gives you the opportunity now to step up to it, to overcome. This is, you know, so much what he wants us to get. I mean, my gosh, can you imagine if God calls a bunch of guys, puts in a boat and kills them in the middle of the you see a Galilee, it's like, well, that was, man, that's a dangerous God. No, he had a plan, he had a purpose, and in every way, just like in our lives, he 
reveals himself to us, but then expects us to respond in the faith, to walk in it, to hold on to it, his word, you know, what he said, right? Then they, 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 they cross over, and then they get to this demoniac, right? And demoniac gets healed, totally right-minded, set free. City comes out. Hey, why don't you leave us alone? Right? They don't like seeing this guy in his right mind. They also don't like that Jesus just interfered with their economic plan, which was raising pigs. Which, you know, again, I don't want to reteach, but Jews shouldn't be doing that. And so they're all upset because Jesus has interfered with their life. It was so funny when I first became a believer, that was one of my fears. It's like, oh my gosh, um, I can't be an artist anymore because, you know, artists. <laughs> and there, there's just not supposed to be a worthiness in that. And then, you know, God had to sh- share with me that I created you to be an artist. This is part of who I made you to be. It's good. I was like, okay, well, I certainly can't teach in the fashion industry because we all know how shallow and vain that is. I created you to be a light in the darkness. Just don't hide it. Get in there. I'll let you know when it's over. Okay, Lord. And truly, he did. He kept me there. Still keeps me there. Because of a voice that I can have for his purposes in that world. Right? But everybody goes through that. Like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm gonna, I, I've got to give all this up. And, and, and God's interfered with my life. And No. God has only revealed all the more to you now why and how he's created you to be the person that you are. Now, of course, I'm not talking about holding on to any kind of a sin nature. We know the natural man has to die daily that the spiritual man might be more lifted up. But the truth is that God is going to use everything, redeem it all, even the horrors of life, to now be used for his purposes in sharing with others. I love that about him, right? But now this demoniac, he gets saved, of course, and is very noble because he just, he begs Jesus, it says, can I go with you now? Sure. I mean, what, what would make more sense? You've just had this revelation of God, been healed of a legion of demons, miraculous stuff going on, clothed in your right mind. Hey, let me just follow you. Let, let's just keep this intimacy together. And Jesus says, no. And he sends him out. Sends him away. Why? Well, because that's the purpose of this revelation of healing and, and, and empowerment now. Go and tell another. There's somebody out there that needs to hear your story, that needs to understand the witness of your life. Right? And as Jesus leads and Jesus opens, then you're just responsible to tell the story. You know, you don't have to have the five-step, you know, lead the people through the thing, you know, and I know that, and I'm not mocking and I'm not making fun. Believe me, that's part of the study today, what God does and how he does it. But I just know your testimony is something that no one else can refute or take from you, and God will use the power of what he's done through you in that testimony, right? The blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony spells it clearly in the book of Revelation, what, what gets us through, what saves us, right? So once, once healed now, a living testimony, go and speak up, and of course, the guy does. We left off verse 39. Return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Boom. There's a disciple, man. God says, God, he prays and God says, no, this is my plan for you. And he goes, okay. Goes out, does the plan. All of us are responsible to that. To respond in that way. 
not to be disgruntled, not to try to adjust, not to debate or, you know, move the plan, but just to follow, right? Now, that gets us into now the faith as we continue on in, in Luke, the faith to heal and to be raised up. The two last real spiritual empowerments of this, you know, of this chapter. And let me assure you, Jesus is, does, you are now spiritually healed. Emotionally healed, most assuredly he wants that for you. Physically healed, if you are struggling with something, completely possible. If that is his desire, and I just point out an easy one to understand, Paul's thorn in the flesh. Pray three times, God says, my grace is sufficient. Why? Because that thorn was for a purpose in Paul's life. So I always have to look at, at, at that kind of suffering or what I go through when illness comes as being purposeful. I remember losing my vision. By gosh, when I had that car accident, window came in, hit, hit the back of my head, and, and my ability to be everything I had always thought I was was gone. Talk about anger. What, how, how could you do this to me? And then God revealed to me, as he was restoring my eyesight over the next year, after that accident, it was my grace that made you blind that you could see. And I truly did. Because let me tell you, as scripture shows even today, there's nothing that will get you closer to God than crisis in your life. Right? When there is nothing left but him. And that's a grace. So, we pick up now, verse 40. So it was, when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus. And he was the ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at the feet of Jesus and begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitude thronged him. This is an interesting way to say it, right? As he went... The multitude thronged him. I just thought that that was so interesting. And I'll explain how that reads out. But so here we have a crowd that just told Jesus, we can't wait for you to leave. Now we have another crowd. We couldn't wait for you to get back. We're so glad. So these are believers, right? And even Jairus, who's the head of the synagogue, which means he did all the planning. He had everything all set up for the services. Not so much the rabbi as much as the guy overseeing everything, right? And obviously he has a belief in Jesus. He comes to him, falls at his feet. There's worship going on. There is a begging to come to his house because he knows that if Jesus does, that he can heal his daughter who is dying. So he, again, active faith, right? And this guy's putting a lot on the line too, because being a a leader in the Jewish community to go and now reveal that he really does worship Jesus, he's going to take a lot of hits, right? This guy looks like a Jesus freak right now. And, and the community's not going to be happy, right? Because he obviously believes. But again, a crisis in his life. My daughter is dying. And let me tell you, those of you that haven't experienced the joys of parenting yet, um, as one aunt said to me once, you laugh with them and you cry with them. You sure do. And there's nothing worse than when one of them is sick. Because you can't do anything. You're, I mean, you, it, it doesn't take long before you're like, Lord, take it from them. Give it to me. You know, you're trying everything you can because you just want healing for your child. And so that's exactly what's happening here. This guy is in crisis, and it is exactly what he needs to get closer to Jesus. 
That's what he examples to us. So let me point that out in our lives, too. When we go through those hard times, is that drawing you closer to Jesus? Because nothing's going to get you to be more real than when your baby's in danger. And as Pastor Mike was teaching this morning, even if your baby isn't a baby, but is an Isaac, a person, a thing, a whatever it might be, of worship that you hold on to more than holding on to Jesus who gave you the baby in the first place. And so he'd get you to that place where you turn that child, that baby, over to him. So it's not your will to be done, but it is his will. Now, he gives us responsibilities for those babies, but am I seeking him? Am I close enough to him to know what he wants for my baby? You know, Lord knows, I hit it up all the time in school you know, it, it, when I'm teaching at the Art Institute, and even when I'm teaching, you know, at Flathead down here, you know, kids that are in school, in my class, doing what they were told to do by their parents. Now, we want to guide our kids, and we want them to be on the right direction. So this is still thinking in that baby of, you know, from God thing. But you got to be careful that you don't want your kids to just be your baby. You know, I just recently heard it from a friend, and she was set to be a ballerina when she was young, and she had some illness problems that never happened. Well, she's got two children now, and her little girl is about, I think, 13, 14. And she's totally not, I don't watch it, I have seen it before, but she's one of these dance moms, right? There's this is like a cable show called Dance Moms or something, where these mothers are like, you know, it's like, my child needs to be, you know, in the front, over, you know, this is the costume in there. Come on, baby, you can do it, you know. I don't care that your toes are bleeding. You can do it, you know. And, and they're, because they want that child to be what they could never be. Parents can easily do that. Well, we can easily do that with spiritual children. Not just spiritual children that someone you lead to the Lord, but the spiritual work the Lord gives us to do. We've got to be careful that we don't do that. So, watching that, you know. that So, Jairus comes, he is desperate for God to work. Now, if you remember in chapter 7, there was a centurion that came. He was likewise also desperate for his servant to be healed, right? Now, he didn't even feel like he was worthy for Jesus to come to his house to heal his servant. And so he's just like, Lord, I'm a man under authority. I know you're a man under authority. You speak it. I know that my servant will be healed. And, And Jesus was like, I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. Great faith. Now, Jairus has faith here, but it's not great faith. He wa- he's begging Jesus to come to his house. The centurion was like, look, don't even come, just speak it, and it'll happen. Jesus wants Jairus to have great faith. And, 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 and we're going to see that as we see an interruption in the purpose right now of Jairus and what he wants to do by what happens with this woman coming up. But let me assure you that Jesus wants you to have great faith. So if you start looking at the circumstances of your life and everything that comes into it, everything that you're being affected by, how things come, why things come, do you ever look at it and think, Jesus wants great faith right now. He wants me to exercise great faith. You got little faith. You know you do. You came to faith in Christ. But do you have great faith? Because that's his goal. Why? Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it is impossible, impossible,
impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that's little faith, and though that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He will reward you if you diligently seek him. It's promise. 1 John 5, 4 says this too. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Now, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands of how many people feel like overcomers this morning. Maybe I should ask for a raise of hands of people who don't. This, it says right here, is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. 1 John 5, 4. And if you're thinking about getting a tattoo, might be might be really helpful. This is what overcomes the world. Our faith. Of course, faith and we even see in the scriptures today, is only as good as its object. Jesus needs to be the object of our faith. And our faith needs to be great. Because this world is greatly evil and greatly against us. And our flesh doesn't help out all that much either. You know, which is why he says that we need to crucify it daily, right? But that is what truly brings healing and victory now, it, again, it's interesting that, you know, he says this, and all of a sudden he goes, and the crowd was thronging him. Now, this word thronging in the Greek, supnigo or something like, you could care less, right? But what it means, right? And, and, and it's actually the same word, this thronging of the crowd, that is used back in verse 14 when he says that the word was choked out by the world. Choked and thronged are the same word. So what I'm seeing here is Jesus is moving and healing is supposed to take place. Faith is supposed to be exercised and there is a thronging, there is a choking out even against the Messiah to have this go forward. Jesus is trying to exercise what God has given him as a purpose. His father, right? Always does what pleases the father. You and I, trying to do what pleases the Father, there is a choking out, a thronging around us all the time in this world. Are you being affected by it? Is the will of God in your life being affected by it? The choking out, the thronging. Watch it. You know, I mean, in the parable of the sower, it's very clear. It's the, it's the concerns of this world. It's the riches of this world. You know, it, it's all you know, the temptations kind of of this world. And, you know, what it, the world says, oh, you need to be this. You need to get this. You need to have that. And everybody who's successful, well, we know you should at least be making that. You know, whatever it is. And yet God has a plan and a purpose, a promise that he will fulfill for you. But just know, the scripture shows it. It's always seeking to be choked out of you by what's going on around you. I just found that to be really helpful for me, for me to be able to stand, right? But Jesus is always moving forward in faith. He's always seeking to honor that. And so that, of course, is, is, is what he does, you know. But no, so keep that thought in mind because now here comes the interruption and God does interrupt, right, our life and what we're thinking we're even headed towards, right, with his plan. And so we go on now in verse 43. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, so menstrual cycle going on for 12 years, a hemorrhaging, right, within her, 
who had spent her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? And all denied it. Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes thronged, oh, there it is again, choke and press you. And you say, who touched you? And look, Peter being a little sarcastic there. Really? But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. Now, when the, women's, the woman saw that she was not hidden, in other words, Jesus turns and he's looking right at her, so it's like, busted, right? Whenever Jesus busts you, it's like, come clean. And she does. She came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people, oh, testimony, the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. The fullness of what no one can take away from her and what's just happened to her with Jesus. She's touched him, right? And he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Love that. So truly a miracle here happening. This woman reaches out. She's knowing she's, all I got to do is touch the hem of his garment, the border. Now that really translates into the word tassels. And you know, a proper Jewish rabbi, which Jesus was, he would have had a prayer apron kind of on and those aprons have little tassels on the corners of them we we get that and you know how scripture explains all what they should have been wearing and everything and she knew all i have to do is touch him and i will be healed and she was immediately now social stigma we don't really think about it today at all but this woman according to leviticus 15 was unclean she was unclean socially and she was unclean ceremonially which means because she had this hemorrhaging of blood, her husband had the right to divorce her. She couldn't touch anybody in her family because when you're unclean and you touch somebody else, you make them unclean. Then they're ceremonially unclean. And what that means is you can't go to worship. You couldn't sit here in church this morning. Ooh, don't sit on our pews. It's, it's that, right? So you were an outcast. It, it's almost like leprosy, you know? Except nobody can see it outwardly. It has to just be known about you, but you're shunned, right? So she's desperate. Look, at she has spent all of her livelihood. She's gone to doctors. She's put it all out there. It's like, please heal me. They tried. They couldn't. And so she knows now all she's got to do in her desperateness is touch Jesus. He's the only one that could help her. And note that she's even too embarrassed and knows of her uncleanness to not even go to him and confront him like to his like Jesus, I need your help. You know, she's not even one of the blind beggar guys that's laying and going, Lord, help me. You know I want to see. She's like, I, I can't even do that. I like people are thronging, people are pressing, people shouldn't even they can't know what I've got because I can't even touch them. So she goes up behind him, she's covert with God, but her faith is great. Because as she touches him, she's healed immediately. And Jesus, as he's calling her out, makes it clear, it's your faith that has healed you. We, we know there's no like special anointing tassels. Now, if you're watching Christian television and somebody's trying to sell you one, save the money, all right? Let's feed a child. 
put it in the box. But there's always those guys that are trying to send the magical next best thing, right? That's not happening. God healed, in fact, allowed the power to go through Jesus to be the healer, which he is, for this woman as she just exercised this contact with her faith, with her Messiah, with the, the God who was promised to them by touching him. And I mean, I just see in that so much this step of faith that we need to have. Now, it's interesting, like, you know, because of the culture and because of the stigmas and the laws and stuff that they had to follow, she had to sneak up, right? We are told in Hebrews 4.16 to come boldly to the throne of God when we need help. Boldly to be able to receive grace in time of need. The throne of mercy. Remember, the throne is... God has covered, the mercy seat covers the law. We have that privilege in time of need. James 4.2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. It's amazing to me how many people do not ask. You understand, James also tells us that if you're sick, go to the elders of the church, they will anoint you with oil. It's not even special. Well, it is kind of. It smells like frankincense and myrrh. But I didn't get it from anybody on TV that gave me a cut price for shipping or anything. It's just that we have the oil to follow the scriptures to be able to anoint and pray for healing that we might be able to intercede for you, which is exactly what we'll go back to in a minute, which which Jairus is doing for his daughter, right? So there's power there. And yet people don't come forward. Why? Unbelief. Fear? Pride? I don't know. Why don't they ask? Maybe that's why they don't receive. Because God says. But do we really believe what he's promised us? That's so much what I'm seeing he's trying to have here. He's trying to encourage us to get to that great faith place. Now, again, no special anointings or anything. There's no formula here to follow. But again, the multitudes are thronging. They're pressing on him. Peter's like, look, man, there's like, I don't even know how many people here that are touching you, Jesus. And you want to know who touched you? See, now there's something for me to take note of. How is it that we, we could all huddle up here right now? We'd be a throng, right? We, you know, sometimes we ask people to come up, pray for the missionaries. We've got all these people up here thronging. And yet one person touches Jesus. Have you touched him? Do you want to touch him? Because that's the difference between being in the crowd and being whole. Verse 48, daughter. That's the only time Jesus ever addresses anybody with this kind of intimacy. He wants her to know, and I would say man, if it, if it was a guy, different circumstances, he would say son, because he'd want them to know the intimacy, the love, the I am not offended, I am not taken back, this is no rebuke to you, daughter. Be of good cheer, for your faith has made you well. That word well translates, and I wish they wrote it in the scripture this way, whole. Whole. Not just well. Whole. 
When we get to Luke 17, we meet these 10 lepers, right? They come to Jesus, heal us. He heals all of them. They all go to the priest, just like he tells them, go and give your sacrifices, let the priest know what's happened. One turns around and comes back and falls at his feet and worships. And he is made whole. He touches Jesus. Well, actually, Jesus touched him. Leper. See, a lot of people in church that are well, but very few people that are whole. What does wholeness look like? It looks like great faith. It's somebody who recognizes, realizes what Jesus has done and never turns away from that because it was real. It has transformed me. 12 years this woman was struggling with this and now immediately by touching Jesus, she's healed. When you reach out to touch Jesus in that way, you will know it and he will know it. He will know you. Now, you know, God knows us and he knows everything, but the, the, you understand what, what this is really speaking of, right? It's not just giving Jesus partial praise. It's not just some of my life. It's everything. It's abandonment to his purpose and cause for me. Do I have to worry that I can't be an artist anymore? That I have to give up my career? That whatever that career was. No, and some people do. But not everybody, because God's put you exactly where he wants you to reach the people that he wants to reach that nobody else is going to reach because that's why he put you there, knowing that you'd be saved and in that place. That's my life in Chicago, at the Art Institute, the pit, as we love to call it. And that's, that's a place I get to go that you'll never go. Where do you go that I'll never go? And as we go in our wholeness, the world goes, and it's like, you're just not a okay. Like, there's something about you. There's, I know some of you have had people say that to you, right? What is that? Uh, joy? In the midst of trial? In the midst of tribulation? There's a wholeness? That's Jesus, right? The bottom line for this, because I, we, we could look at this and we could all go and like, well, that wasn't really proper. I mean, should a woman even touch a man back then? And You know, there's going to be goofballs that are getting into all that stuff. It is not about PC, you know, political correctness here. It is about a woman, not about her approach, but about the object of her faith. And it's Jesus. And he is always there for those who would touch him. He wants to touch you. He wants to touch me. Right? And that's what brings that, that wholeness. See, well, people that are well, but man, they don't go to that next step. And they end up hurting and they end up hindering what God really wants to do because they've never given themselves over. I just received a call on Wednesday night from a girl that used to be in my youth group when I was a youth pastor. Uh, she's now 41. So uh, <laughs> that just gives you a little time frame there and helps you know that relationships do stick with you when you touch people's lives. But anyway, she was calling because her half-sister uh, had just died, who was 45. Now, I knew her half-sister. She was in the church. We, you know, fellowship with them. In fact, I married, I, I performed the marriage of her and her husband, this girl that died, this woman. I uh, performed, they were the first marriage, in fact, I ever did when I stepped up to be pastor. So, you know, premarital counseling, and then did the wedding, and, and then things got rough, and did a lot of counseling. They ended up having, you know, four, they have four daughters, you know, 
And, but they just couldn't hold on. And there was legitimate reasons for divorce, and so the marriage ended. And, and she just had a hard life, this woman. She was never, she never touched Jesus to be whole. She was well. She had the power. She had the spirit. She, she knew, she knew all she needed to know. She had all she needed to have, but she wasn't made whole. Now she died and, and this girl called me and she was, you know, crying and she was really upset because she had passed and it's like, what happened? And well, we don't know, but we know that she was never able to have that victory over the world, her faith. She had a, a, an abusive problem all the way back from when she was a kid, drugs, alcohol, always haunted her, even in her good days when she was in the church and life was vital and she was serving. She was never able to reach that point. This is, so in, in talking to her ex-husband, who again, I'm still in fellowship with, he sent me this text because he thought it would encourage me because it encouraged him. Their middle daughter, one of their middle daughters who's 18, was on a mission trip. She got back two hours before her mom left this earth. And this is what she wrote. I'm just going to read you part of it, but it says what I need to say. I'm standing strong. This is an 18-year-old. I'm standing strong because my grip on God is so tight. And I wish that all of you just pray for him to lift you up and help you see his will. I know mom went to heaven. She believed in God. She just didn't think she was good enough for him. She was just never made whole. Don't not be whole. Because that world, that life, that past can come back and it nips at your heels. And when things get hard and times get tough, it's waiting to bite. It's waiting at the door. But you should rule over it. Make sure you touch Jesus. How you touch him is by listening to his word and activating it by being doers of the work and the word, right? Same, almost mingles together. She just didn't think she's good enough. And let me just say right out, and I've heard other pastors say it, so I don't feel like it's a, a big theological bombshell. None of us are good enough. That's why he sent his son, the perfection to walk in the flesh in perfection, to die on the cross and now become our righteousness as he became sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. If you're in Jesus, you are well. But you need to touch him. Make sure it's not a casual contact. Man, seek to be made whole. That's where the real power comes in. You know, and, 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 no, and no, it's like, Jesus, he, I'm sure he doesn't want, he, like, I, look, I don't want you to think you stole something from me here. You know, because the way it almost reads, like, and power went out from him, it's like, wow, you know, it's like Jesus can't keep the lid on or something. It's like, no, it's not that at all. She received what came from her touch with him. And that's where we all need to be always, receiving from him. What does he say to you? What has he promised you? What has he done for you? These are the things we need to always be feeding on, eating healthy with. 
right? person can come to church every week and experience Jesus. I mean, man, worship team. It's beautiful. It's God. He's in it. But did you touch him? That word touch, hypotomy in the Greek, it means to attach oneself to in relationship. It's an intimate, intimate term to touch. It actually means actually to cling. Now, I doubt she grabbed onto Jesus' apron and wouldn't let go, but spiritually speaking, she did. She grabbed onto her Savior and wouldn't let go. She recognized, right? Again, when it happens, you'll know it. Jesus knows it, and then you need to continue in it, which is what James said. Continue in being doers, right? She didn't hide it. She right away declares her testimony. Blood of the Lamb, word of the testimony. Publicly healed immediately. And Jesus again confirms it, calls her daughter, establishes that her faith has made her well. Again, faith, only as good as its object, Jesus made her well. He's the healer. Man, what joy. Now, I got to imagine during this time, Jairus <laughs> is getting a little bit anxious. My daughter's at home dying, and this is good. I'm glad you had a chance to minister to this woman, but can we get on our way here? While he, Jesus, was still speaking, someone came from the ruler, uh, came from the, ru- the ruler of the synagogue's house. This is verse 49, saying to him, "Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher." But when Jesus heard it, he answered and said to him, "Do not be afraid. Only believe, and she will be made well." When he came to the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John. His little inner, inner, you know, inner circle, these three guys that he was training up, that he wanted them to see. He wanted them to experience. I'm leaving you guys behind. I want you to know all these roles. Come with me. I know there's jokes about he couldn't trust to leave them outside and stuff, but you know, I really think it was because he was a discipler to his disciples, right? So, and then he also lets the father and mother come with the girl because, you know, we're all, it, it, it's all good here. Mom and dad need to be there. Now, all wept and mourned for her, but he said, do not weep. She is dead. She's not dead, but sleeping. Now, this is, where it, this, this is where it gets good. This is where you and I, this is where I found relevancy, right? And they ridiculed him, mocked God, knowing that she was dead. But he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called, saying, Little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately, and he commanded that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished. But he charged them to tell no one that what, you know, what had happened. So still, he's, he's still not ready for that time when he's presented as Messiah. He still wants to keep a little bit you know, under wraps and stuff. But I just... I mean, the way that this, that, that this plays out. I mean, now Jairus is waiting for this moment. You ever feel like you're waiting for Jesus to step in? It's like, did you forget about me? Taking a little long here. Another prayer, yes. Because what God wants is great faith. Not failing faith, not faltering faith, not flimsy faith, not sometimes faith. He wants great faith faith in us. So we persevere. Fervent prayer is what changes things, we're told in scriptures, right? 
But I'm sure the guy is, is just really feeling like, man, it, it's just not happening. And so this bad news shows up. She's dead. Jesus, right away, gives two things to activate faith. One is, do not be afraid. Fear kills faith. Fear kills faith. It truly does, right? You and I must purpose to not operate from a fear base. All the promises that God has given us, all that he's already done, all that he's already proved himself to do, we have no right to go there. We must walk by faith and not by sight. I heard a pastor say this. It was kind of good. I think this is the way it goes. Faith sees, this is why we need to operate in faith. Faith sees the invisible. It hears the unaudible. It believes the incredible so that we can do the impossible. That's why we need to be people that operate in faith. So put fear away. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. Right? Only believe, Jesus says. Only believe. And she will, promise, she will be made well. What Jesus, what is he saying to you this morning? What's the promise? What's the word? What's the work? He casts out, he puts out everybody that would come against that. I think that's very important for us to understand. These guys are professionals. You know, they've already hired the professional whaling team by the time they get to the house, right? So two things he does. First, they're ridiculing God. That word ridicule, it means, some scriptures translate it, they laughed at Jesus. They laughed at God when he said what he was going to do, what he said what truth was. Or they scorned, they scoffed. Right? So the first thing he does is put him outside. Why? Let me tell you what it says in Matthew 13, 58. In speaking of Nazareth, so Jesus' hometown, he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Because of their unbelief. Because those people had a problem with it. Jesus didn't do, God didn't do many miracles there, many great works. It's not that he couldn't. It's that he wouldn't. He's not going to honor unbelief. He's not going to bless scoffers. He's not going to go their way or support what they say. He's going to put them out. And then he wants to get to business with those who will believe. I take that personally. I want to believe. I want to go forward. So I'm going to be very careful who I listen to. Now, this blows my mind because as I'm getting ready for this study, Jan shares a scripture with me yesterday. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's, that's, that's like awesome. Psalms, the longest book in the Bible, probably the most popular book in the Bible. I'm going to, you know, show a hands of who hasn't run to Psalms when you got a problem, right? Everybody's like, oh my gosh, Psalms, David, like he's one minute, he's crazy. The next minute he's walking with the Lord. He's got the heart for God, but he's depressed and he's in, you know, it's just like the greatest book to read for any problem you've got, right? So everybody's gone there. So this real, this, this, Jan gives me this verse. She goes, I got this verse today. It really spoke to me. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Because what it said to me, well, check this out, right? So this intense book of scripture, Psalms, everybody knows it, right? It begins with a warning to us. This is what it says. Psalm 1, 1. Blessed. And I always used to love when Pastor Mike would be like, happy. Happy is the, happy is the man. Whose sins are forgiven? He used to do that. Anyway. But 
It doesn't mean that, right? But I used to love that. But anyway, blessed, happy is the man who walks not the negative, walks not in the counsel of ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. By his, but his delight is the law of the Lord. That just means the word, right? That doesn't mean we don't eat bat and stuff. You can eat it if you want. It just means that in the law, and it goes on to say, in his law, we meditate. The word means like marinate. It's like marinating meat. That's what we're supposed to be doing in the word of God, night and day. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season. Be patient. In season, the fruit comes, whose leaf shall... Also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. I just heard that in James. If I hear and I do, I get blessed in everything I listen and do. Same promise, right? The ungodly, who I'm not supposed to take counsel from, are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. You want to listen to people? You want counsel from people? Why don't you go listen to the dust in the air? There's actually a song about that when I was wind, something like in something in the wind. But anyway, don't listen to them. They're blowing away. It's worthless. Chaff is the thing that they, they got rid of off the wheat, that the meat of the wheat, the fruit, would be something that we would gain nourishment from. But you've got to get rid of the chaff. So if we're getting rid of the chaff, why would you go to chaff for counsel? And this is what it's saying. Don't be an idiot. Now, that's my translation. I'm not going to try and publish it. But that's what the book is saying. Why would you do that? Don't. Don't do it. Don't seek counsel. Counsel means advice, purpose. Pretty simple, right? From the ungodly. Who are the ungodly? They are the wicked. They are the guilty of sin. Here, I love this definition. They're morally wrong. They're just doing things wrong. I'm seeing somebody doing something wrong. Biblically, now this is right. So this is how I know what right is. Holy Spirit convicts me of that right as well as the wrong. And so I have that. And so as I see somebody acting wrong, I'm not going to go up and go, hey, what do you think about my life? Should I do something like this? Or No, it says don't do that, right? Don't stand with sinners. Standing means to stand for, to take a stand for. So this person's wrong. Their life is wrong. They've made wrong choices. They're like, they're going against God's word and I'm going to stand with them. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be steadfast. No, that's wrong. I can't stand with you. Now I can share truth with you and let you know what truth is, but I cannot stand with you. Right. But I love this one. Don't sit in a seat of scoffers to sit, check it out. It means to sit down and stay a while. Let's talk about it. Share with me in the seat it means dwelling. It means assembly. I've shared it before. My pastor in California used to say it all the time. I just think it's funny. I think it's worth remembering. There is fungus among us. <laughs> in the church, there are seats, assemblies of people that want to talk, that want to scoff. And a scoffer is a scorner, a mocker, and can even be a teacher or an ambassador. But they are ones that are laughing at what God is doing in you, with you, or has even done for you. And they will mock it to try to discourage you. Again, Satan does not need to take you back to drug and alcohol day. 
He needs to just get you to sit down and do nothing for the gifts and the callings and the life that God has given you now in abundance that he wants you to walk forward in. And no, I'm just going to sit here. Uh, no, I don't feel good about it. No, I don't feel confident about it. No, I don't know. It's... That's all Satan has to do is get you to think that way instead of like, hold on. Who am I in Christ? Gifts, callings, purpose, place. This is me. I, he's he's got to, I don't get the plan all the time, but I'm going to walk in the plan all the time because I know he's making me whole in the plan. He's already made me well, but I want to be whole. I want to be in him, right? So watch. Watch who you take counsel from. Watch who you stand with as being somebody who's right. Watch the conversations you have with mockers and scoffers at what God is doing in your life, around your life, with your life, through your life. Because the enemy would discourage you from walking in faith. Great faith. Jairus has little faith. I want to be a centurion. Great faith. God wants all of us to be in that place. Because the enemy is out to shipwreck your faith, that you do not walk in those works that he's laid out before the plans of this world, that you should walk in them. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 10. It's amazing. So Jesus puts them out, and then the miracle begins. So that's the first thing he does. Puts out those that don't believe. I don't want to listen. I'm not going to hear, because I'm going to raise this girl up. Takes her hand, and her spirit returns to her, and she is revived. Amazing. It doesn't matter how much Bible truth you know. If you don't act on it, it's dead faith. Academic truth isn't dangerous at all. What Satan hates is active truth. That you hear, you read, you believe, you have a relationship with God Almighty, and he's told you, and you act upon it. Whoa, talk about demons trembling. If not, they're just like, oh, God, yeah, he's still sleeping. Oh, yeah, he's still taking some time off. Oh, yeah, they're, they're good. They're quiet. Mm -mm. Jesus, the word becomes flesh and dwells among us. He is truly all you need. But don't just have casual contact with him. Touch him by activating faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If this book says it, then you can walk in it confidently. You don't have to turn to the left or the right. You don't have to look for the next best thing. It's not somebody else's opinion. It's not some book that's been written. It's this activated in yours and mine life. This will make you whole if you will walk in it, if you will touch believing. Amen? Thank you for joining us as we studied the Word this morning. If you would like more information about Sela Fellowship, please visit us on the web at salafellowship.org. While you are there, feel free to check out some of our other messages and past book studies. Thank you again, and God bless.